Gold XP Podcast. If you're enjoying the content, please remember to drop a sub, drop a like, and leave your thoughts down below in the comments. With that, we will see you guys in the podcast. Welcome, Dr. Nershel, to the World XP Podcast. For those that don't know, this is my granddad, so I've known him for uh, my whole life, pretty much. Um, this is going to be the beginning of a podcast series on sports medicine. Uh, for those listening that don't know, Dr. Nershel is an orthopedic surgeon. He is the founder of the Nershel Orthopedic Center for Sports Medicine and Joint Reconstruction, uh, as well as the founder of the Virginia Sports Medicine Institute. Um, he won the Mayo Clinic Distinguished Alumni Award in 2017. Uh, he went to he won Alumni of the Year for the Medical College of Wisconsin. Has done over 400 medical presentations in the U.S. and nine other countries. He's written 94 book chapters, 163 published medical articles, 10 video programs on orthopedic surgery techniques, um, and a multitude of others that I will put in the description uh, at the end for you guys to read. But welcome, Dr. Nershel slash Granddad. Appreciate you. Appreciate your time. Well, it's uh, awfully good to be with you, uh, Eric. Uh, it's always good to, to uh, have somebody who's knowledgeable and uh, who is talented to be able to do podcasts. So this will be a series of sports medicine topics, uh, and <clears throat> it actually could go on for quite a while. Uh, uh, there might be uh, at least uh, 25 different topics uh, that we could uh, uh, go over, and, uh, and we could go from uh, common problems, uh, conditioning in sports, uh, uh, to all the way to injury prevention, and also to... Uh, uh, treatment, including uh, non-surgical and surgical treatments. And <clears throat> we could start out today, I think, uh, uh, with uh, uh, what is tendonitis uh, and is it an obsolete term? And the facts of the matter are that tendonitis uh, term has been used for a 100 years and is totally obsolete. And the work that we did here in Virginia uh, identified that uh, there are no inflammatory cells uh, in, in damaged tendons, and <clears throat> therefore the term itis came from, uh, of course, the Greek, which means inflammation. But since there are no inflammatory cells in the tissue, uh, therefore the term itis is inappropriate. And uh, we discovered that on our, uh, <clears throat> our investigations and uh, research on tennis elbow. So how, uh, did you, how did you get around to like even working on on this or figuring out that right you see tennis elbow and you're like well there's no there's no inflammatory tissue in the tendon is like how did that how did that come about this even sort of cross your mind that tendonitis might might not be the right the right term for it well to start with uh, i i was a high school athlete i actually had three letters in sports so football basketball and tennis and uh <clears throat> and I was always interested in sports, and uh, after I got to Virginia from the Mayo Clinic, uh, I, uh, I, I went back to tennis and got tennis elbow, and uh, I, uh, I am, am, am an inquisitive uh, type of person, and uh, so I started to read the orthopedic literature. This was in the, uh, in the late 1960s, and the first two articles uh, uh, that I wrote uh, or I read in the, in the orthopedic literature uh, started out by saying tennis elbow is a terrible term because we've never seen a, t a tennis player with tennis elbow. 
Uh, and were you, you were practicing already by this time? Yes, or? yes, I, I, I was. Uh, yes, I, I was practicing at that time. So uh, I uh, actually, uh, after I left the Mayo Clinic, I was a lieutenant commander in the Navy for several years as an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, and then I came to the Washington area in uh, and then I was practicing, and then, as you said, uh, I decided to uh, get back into a little conditioning and took up tennis. And when I got to tennis elbow, as I said, I read the, the literature, and in the first two articles, they said that, that tennis elbow was a bad term because there was, they didn't see any, any tennis players with the problem. Well, <clears throat> I knew that uh, this was just totally incorrect and that these authors really basically didn't understand it worth anything. So I started some research uh, onto it, and uh, the next thing that happened was that uh, I filmed the United States Davis Cup team, uh, including Stan Smith and Arthur Ashe, amongst others, uh, and started to analyze stroke mechanics of uh, quality uh, world-class players uh, versus uh, non-world-class non players or inexperienced tennis players. Uh, uh, and uh, we started to develop uh, then the concepts of... Uh, of, uh, of mechanics of uh, good technique uh, versus bad technique in terms of injury uh, production or injury prevention. And <clears throat> once I got into that, uh, then all of a sudden I started to see a, a wide variety of tennis players uh, and, uh, and, uh, who had tennis elbow, and then it came to the point where sometimes uh, non-surgical treatment didn't work, so uh, we moved on to surgery. And then when we analyzed the tissue uh, with the pathologists uh, and they looked at the tissue, they, they, they said, gee, uh, you know, there are no inflammatory cells in this tissue. Uh, and therefore, uh, we redivide the concept uh, to uh, uh, what we noted. We called it angiofibroblastic uh, tendinosis, uh, which was there are a lot of, uh, of uh, so blood, blood vessel cells. So before you go into more sciencey terms that people listening are probably their heads are almost spinning at this point, what is tennis, what is for the layman, what is tennis elbow, what is that injury? Uh, well, tennis elbow is one of the, of the tendinitis slash tendinosis uh, problems. And, and, and when a tendon fails, uh, uh, it fails by degeneration, uh, not by inflammation. Uh, and uh, and so the issue then is uh, when the, the pathology terms uh, uh, were changed, and this, of course, is for medical doctors uh, uh, to understand that, not for the lay folks per se. But it's important because the treatment up to that point, now this is the early 1970s, the treatment up to that point uh, was uh, anti-inflammatory treatment uh, rather than trying to restore the health of the tendon itself, and so that it totally changed the concept of uh, what to do with, uh, with tendon failure. Uh, and, uh, and, and So and it's a, basically just a degeneration of the tendons that are in the elbow, essentially. It's degeneration of, 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 of the tendons in the elbow, but, but the tendon overuse problem in sport, and for that matter, just in occupational activities, uh, it goes from from the shoulder uh, to the elbow to the wrist uh, and uh, also to the hip uh, uh, to the knee uh, to the shins uh, to, and uh, to the Achilles tendon and to the plantar fascia and 
and the pathology uh, or the or the failure of the tendon is is always the same when you look at it with the microscope when a pathologist looks at it with the microscope so all of these maladies uh, are, are are similar uh, and they all uh, come from uh, generally overuse but there's another important factor and the other important factor is that people are born uh, with a durability problem in tendons so there are some people in way of metaphor some people uh, let's say for tires uh, some people are born with 10,000 mile tires and some people are born with 60,000 mile tires mm. or some people are born with 10,000 mile tendons versus 60,000 mile tendons and and so it depends on what you're born with and then it also depends on how you use it so that if you have a 10,000 mile tire and put it on an Indianapolis 500 race car it'll last about a quarter of a block uh, if you put it on a car, uh, 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 on an elderly person who goes to church once a year, uh, it might last a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, uh, so even a 60,000-mile tire on an Indianapolis 500 race car only lasts maybe 75 miles. Uh, so, so it depends on what you're born with, and it also depends on how you use, uh, how you use your tendons. So when you get into sports, of course, then uh, you're more active, and then it's sports-specific. Uh, so, for instance, in the racket and throwing sports, uh, the upper extremity tendons get into trouble more, more often. Uh, in the running sports, the lower extremity tendons get into trouble more sure. often. Sure, and all of, this, all of these thoughts and these, this research that you've done, this all stemmed from your own experience with tennis elbow back in, back in the, the 60s. Yes, it all started. Uh, it so, all started with that. So you start to figure out that maybe tennis elbow is not the right term. You figure out it's degeneration rather than inflammation, and this leads you to looking at the other tendons that are in the body that are being used by by athletes, not just tennis players as well. Is that is that accurate? That's correct. Yes. So that uh, so that in, in in the racket and throwing sports, of course, the shoulder is a, a major player uh, as well as the elbow. Uh, but there are, there are many people who, uh, as we said, uh, have a durability problem. And I, and I wrote an article uh, actually in the late 1960s called the mesenchymal syndrome, uh, mesenchyme. Uh, everybody's kind of aware of it now with stem cells and things like that, which is a popular topic. Uh, but the mesenchymal group uh, includes in, uh, in muscle and tendon, and it, it also includes in what is in a tendon and what's in a tendon the ladies are very much aware of uh, collagen uh, which is in skin and so of course the dermatologists are into collagen and 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 making uh, skin better and so forth but there is an enormous amount of collagen in tendons and one of the failures then of the tendon is that the collagen becomes disrupted uh, and uh, and in addition the blood vessels uh, get squeezed out so it is, uh, to use my term, a metaphorical term, is a heart attack of tendon, uh, if you will. And, and so the treatment then, of course, of, of tendon uh, failure uh, is to restore the vitality uh, of the tendon by bringing new blood vessel supply, uh, just like the cardiology doctors do with, uh, with heart attack victims. Sure. So, for instance, in a heart attack victim, uh, the uh, heart muscle dies to some degree. That's what a heart attack is all about. And so 
in the old days, the cardiology doctors, God loved them, but basically gave terrible advice. Uh, they said, well, uh, you had a heart attack, that's serious business. Uh, you better just sit in a chair and you better not stress yourself, otherwise you'll have another heart attack and you'll die. And that was terrible advice. Uh, because what happened was that the individual was petrified, sat in a chair, uh, their cholesterol went up, their mm -hmm. fat went up, uh, and uh, they were worse off and they died and fell out of a chair anyway. So now the cardiology guys are, 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 are more educated and they say, you know, a heart attack is serious business, but you better get out of the chair and you better do cardiac rehab. So you better start doing rehabilitation to revascularize your heart muscle. So the same thing is true then of, of, of a tendon failure or a heart attack of tendon. And that is that rehabilitative exercise to encourage new blood vessels to help the damaged tendon uh, and to heal it uh, is the way to go but you have to be controlled in your rehabilitative process so that there's specific rehabilitative exercises in which are appropriate to this. So now, how did you figure those out, right? So you've got a tennis elbow, or for example, like my patellar tendon is not in, or used to be not in great shape, and I've done different exercises to sort of fix that. How did you go about figuring out, like, what different exercises don't put the strain on the tendon that, for example, like, helps it to regenerate rather than degenerate more. Because there's lots of, there's all sorts of different exercises, right? Like there are some days that I wouldn't be able to do squats because my patellar was so, um, so like degenerated and it was so painful that it didn't help. But then if you do maybe like uh, a pistol squat or something that's like lighter on the body, then it's like, okay, then that will help fix it. So what, how did you go about figuring out which which exercises would be able to help, and was there sort of a pattern that you started to see develop for whether it's a knee or a shoulder or an elbow? Well, it's a great, a great question, and uh, and pain, uh, pain is a helpful tool in that regard. Uh, so that anything that that basically uh, creates a, a rather rel relatively intense pain is is, is probably a no-no. Uh, uh, so that we use that uh, to start with. And then we gradually worked our way into the, the concepts of exercise uh, from the points of view of the technique of, of the exercise as well as the frequency and intensity of the exercise. So there, there are three components to the concept. Mm -hmm. And so in the early going in the 1970s, this was trial and error uh, to some degree. Now there are also two kinds of rehabilitative exercise. Uh, and... Uh, uh, there are what are called eccentric exercise and, and concentric exercise, uh, uh, which is uh, uh, the idea of either shortening uh, the muscle tendon unit or lengthening the muscle tendon unit. Correct. Uh, and, and so both are, are helpful uh, in, in that regard. Uh, the other aspect of, uh, we might uh, digress for just a moment uh, and also just discuss exercise in its own right. And in my, in my scheme of things, there are, there are three categories of exercise. Category one, then, is rehabilitative exercise, the goals of which are to take injured or deficient tissue and restore it to normal. Uh, category two would be uh, fitness exercise, the goal of which uh, is to take a, a relatively normal tissue and make it better normal. And the third category in my scheme of things is performance exercise, which includes sports performance. 
and the goal of performance exercise is not good health, uh, which is actually inertialism, uh, <laughs> which I coined actually in 1970. Uh, and uh, because up to that point, uh, uh, people thought that, well, taking up a, a sport to get in shape, uh, the facts of the matter are uh, that sport very often uh, causes injury. Uh, and sure. so you, you basically get in shape to take up a sport. Uh, uh, you don't uh, take up the sport to get in shape. So that's inertialism from the 1970s. Uh, and we learned that on the basis of my uh, of when I filmed the United States Davis Cup team and then started to analyze inexperienced uh, uh, or non-world-class type tennis players and their stroke mechanics versus uh, stroke mechanics of, uh, uh, of elite athletes and found them to be totally different. Uh, and so, so good mechanics very often might be good for stroke, uh, stroke production in tennis, uh, but uh, uh, poor mechanics, uh, uh, you could still get the ball over the net, but also overloaded the, the tissues, to so, to so to speak, so that we started to analyze it and then wrote a book on the basis of, of going uh, good mechanics in tennis to start with versus bad mechanics. Uh, and then we started to develop other things as far as the treatment plans as well. So if you have pain... The problem is that you're not going to do much in the way of any kind of exercise. And so so one of the important concepts of uh, treatment to begin with is pain control. Uh, but that is not necessarily inflammation control. So pain control is very, very different than inflammation per se. Uh, but you need some form of pain control to, uh, to help out so that you can do a good job on your rehabilitative program. Uh, the other aspect of uh, treatment would be also, again, then to change the mechanics of what you're doing so that uh, looking at tennis players as an example, uh, a, a punch backhand versus a, a smooth uh, a flowing backhand uh, would be an example of bad mechanics versus good mechanics. Uh, and then you can do bracing, uh, which we actually coined a new phrase called counterforce bracing, uh, which, uh, which had to do with the supporting uh, the muscle tendon unit uh, uh, and now you see a lot of tennis elbow straps as an example, uh, but I was the first to actually introduce the term counterforce bracing in the early 1970s uh, in reference uh, to not only then the elbow, but uh, the knee and the shins and the plantar fascia and so forth and so on. Uh, so, uh, so all of those concepts are in play then. Number one then, uh, would be pain control. Number two would be rehabilitative exercise. Number three would be violence control or good mechanics. Uh, and uh, and n number four uh, would be uh, some form of counterforce bracing. Uh, and if one, two, three, and four don't work on occasion, uh, this the treatment would be surgical to take out the, the unhealthy pain-producing uh, damaged tendon. Now, there can also be a, a, a wide variety of volume in terms of tendon failure. Uh, it could be just a little bit of, of, of stress and a small amount of tendon failure all the way to tendon rupture. Uh, and so there are categories then uh, that we developed in terms of when we looked at it surgically of, of the variety of from... Before, before we go into the variety of tendon ruptures, tears, things mm -hmm. of that nature... All of the things you, you mentioned, the one, two, three, and four of pain, pain management mechanics, um, 
and the, the basically violence control, all of those things now, like for people that are in, like myself is kind of, I wouldn't say second nature, but it's just there. Like people seem to know it. You being at the forefront of that back in the 70s, how like, um, I don't want to say revolutionary because obviously it was, but how how did you come up with these things? Because often you you see an invention and you're like, well, obviously that makes sense. But to be the person that comes up with it, you have to like see something different than what everybody else is. So what are you seeing in these in these athletes in the 70s that you're like, okay, well, obviously pain management, this seems fairly, um, I say intuitive, but then the other ones in terms of, right, mechanics, a lot of times when people think of mechanics, um, you have mind-body connection, right? So as which muscle is that, which muscle is firing when you do a certain motion, like with squats, you can be more quad heavy or more hamstring heavy, depending on how you do that. So how did you come up with all of these sorts of concepts? And then obviously the the braces as well, that how to like how to design them so they work properly in the way that's intended well uh actually uh you're good I, actually it, it might be surprising but uh when i was at the mayo clinic uh, uh <clears throat> i uh, i i had opportunity to participate in a polio clinic and you'd say well how did polio uh, have anything to do with uh, uh, sports uh, uh, sports injuries, and 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 what what I realized in the clinic that uh, that we had, there were two thousand polio p- patients at the time. Now, uh, now the audience nowadays uh, has no idea about uh, what what polio was all about, uh, but it was devastating and 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 it didn't necessarily kill you, but uh, if you survived, uh, you were left with major muscle deficiencies uh, and uh, and the muscle imbalances that I noticed in polio uh, all of a sudden it dawned on me uh, when we started to look at sports uh, and, and the imposed demands of sports on muscle imbalance so my polio experience actually uh, triggered me to, to thinking in terms of this now for instance sport uh, let, let's take a, a baseball throwing as an example. Uh, in baseball throwing, uh, the front muscle groups in the shoulder strengthen, but the back muscle groups uh, of the shoulder weaken. And so there's an imbalance then which is imposed by the demands of the sport. And that's what I mean by sport causes injury. Uh, and so from that point of view, then uh, we recognize the muscle imbalance of the, of the, of the shoulder blade muscle groups in the, in the shoulder weak uh, and, and the front pectoral muscle groups stronger. Uh, so, but my polio experience that triggered me into understanding that this is a 360 degree issue uh, and so that uh, in, in sport rehabilitation and, and actually in sport conditioning, you need, to, you need to think about it in a 360 degrees. And so my polio experience actually is what actually triggered my thought process in, in, into the sport activity. Mm, very interesting. I don't think that's an answer most people would expect. But So you, you were before, um, before I asked you the other question, you were mentioning the different degrees of tears and ruptures in, in the tendons. So do you want to jump back into that? Uh, yes, uh, in our surgical experience, then when we looked at these tendons in various body parts, whether it's the Achilles or, or the or the tennis elbow or the shoulder, rotator cuff, uh, <clears throat> the issue uh, is that 
there are gradations of damage. Uh, so there could be a, a, a little bit of damage uh, uh, or a fair amount of damage or it could go on to full rupture of, of the tendon. So if you're in a situation where there's a full rupture of the tendon, uh, then that almost invariably comes to surgical intervention to, re, to, to actually reattach the tendon or to repair the tendon. Uh, in, in, the, in the smaller uh, cases where there's just a little irritation of the tendon, the rehabilitation process works well. Uh, so, so we then devised a, a, a category of, of one to four uh, where there's a, a, a little bit of a tendon damage to, to up to 50% of tendon, tendon damage uh, to 75% of tendon damage to 100% of tendon damage. Now how can you figure that out clinically? Uh, well, the MRI came along uh, and the MRI and sometimes ultrasound uh, uh, evaluation allowed us to actually analyze the tendons to some degree, uh, but the MRI is probably the most effective of the, of the diagnostic tools uh, to determine that. But, and, and we also use pain phases. Uh, just so real just, quick, for people that don't know exactly what the MRI is, can you just go briefly and explain what that is and what it does? Uh, well, the MRI is a, is a tool which, uh, uh, in essence, uh, uh, un unlike X-ray, which uses X-ray beams, this uses a, sort of a, a beam which uh, basically shakes up the tissue to some degree, uh, and you get an image, uh, uh, and the image that you see, uh, sort of like an X-ray image, but uh, but 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 not by X-ray beam, uh, actually identifies and the anatomy of the of the tissue and so you can you can discern the normal tissue versus abnormal tissue and, and then and then you can discern also the volume of the abnormality uh, if you will uh, the uh, we also use uh, clinically we use pain phases as an as an example also so I developed a, a series of, of pain phases one through seven uh, and and one would be a, a little ache and pain which goes away by itself. Uh, two would be uh, some aches and pains after a, 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 a sports activity, but the ache and pain basically goes away with warm-up. Uh, three, uh, the ache and pain will go away, but it takes a couple of days. Uh, four, uh, the ache and pain doesn't go away. Uh, with sports activity uh, and warm-up uh, and, and five, uh, the, the pain is there even with just activities of, uh, of simple activities of daily living and six, uh, the pain basically is there at rest. Now, if you have pain at rest, in other words, to disturb your sleep uh, and so forth, that, that tells us almost automatically that this is more significant tendon damage uh, than if you just only have an ache and pain which goes away. Uh, in other words, phases one and two versus phase six, uh, uh, six or seven, which as we said, pain at rest uh, itself. Now there could be pain at rest, for instance, let's say you have a hip pain, which is called a trochanteric bursitis or tendon of the, of the outer side of the hip. And if you roll over on it at night and it causes pain, 
uh, or you have a rotator cuff problem and you roll over in at night and it causes pain, that's different than if, you, if you're not putting pressure against the tendon. So that would be, uh, you would have pain at rest when you're not putting any pressure against it, and that would be pain phase seven. Mm. So if you're in pain phase six or seven, that invariably means that there's substantial damage uh, to the tendon. So that's a, a clinical clue. Uh, in addition, then would you use the MRI as, as an anatomic, uh, you know, device to uh, actually visualize the tendon itself? Sure. So you've got, right, you talked about six and seven and then the different grades. Obviously, people go through all of these different sorts of Injuries. You'd hope that most people you'd catch it at like a grade one, small, small damage, small tear, or pain phase one and two. But obviously, we see sometimes it just it just ruptures and it goes straight to the the full tear. What causes the different sorts of injuries? Obviously, we know overload, right? Like overuse of of the tendon can can kind of end up. It's a basically a slight degeneration and can be fixed with physical therapy and in a few months of basically staying off it doing the right exercises to strengthen the areas but what happens when what happens when there's not really pain and then it and then it just goes well uh well again there there are uh, there uh, there are, are ways to basically injure yourself and one one way is by repetitive overload and that would be uh, the issue of uh, of uh, a tennis, uh, for instance, the backhand in tennis. Uh, repetitive overload over time uh, would be the uh, a, a gradual uh, attrition of the tendon. Otherwise, there there could be single event uh, uh, overload, uh, uh, which is fairly common. For instance, in Achilles tendons. Uh, where all of a sudden there's a sudden burst and the Achilles tendon just ruptures. Uh, and, and so a single event trauma uh, versus a uh, repetitive overload trauma. Now, re uh, single event traumas uh, often basically affect the ligaments. Uh, for instance, in, in basketball and football, uh, ACL injury, uh, uh, ACL ligament tear in the knee uh, is, a, is often a single event single event trauma, uh, a, a fracture of, of your tibia. Uh, I'm mindful of way back when uh, it's still played today, Joe Theismann basically fracturing his tibia. Uh, it, that's a single event, uh, high, uh, high intensity, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, trauma to, uh, to, to, the, uh, to the body. But most of the tendon problems have a tendency to be repetitive uh, overload over time uh, but sometimes what will happen there's a there's a there's a combination there's some uh, attritional gradual overload uh, and there's a gradual weakness and then all of a sudden that that weakness or vulnerability then a, a sudden event which doesn't have to be too too big uh, or too great uh, basically then ruptures an already vulnerable tendon uh, which is very often the case, uh, so that uh, so that there's combinations of of what can occur. Yeah, you mentioned Joe Theismann, and I actually um, had messaged a a soccer doctor in England about this. But I had a question. It was last summer. There had been probably three or four um, really nasty, like dislocated ankle, leg break type 
type injuries and it seems to me the last like three four or five years at least the ones that are visible to a lot of people on the internet or whatever it seems like there's been an increase in a lot of these like single trauma but like these like nasty really nasty like dislocated ankle compound leg fractures um ACL tears, et cetera. It seems like there's been an increase. Do you have any inkling or idea why that, or if that even is the case? It just seems like it is to me. Um, obviously, I've not looked into the actual numbers, but do you have any inkling as why that could be the case? Well, yes. I, I, I think, uh, first of all, uh, the athletes in general are bigger, stronger, and faster uh, and uh, that has to do with uh, heredity, that has to do with nutrition, uh, and that also has to do with uh, conditioning, including uh, you know strength training and so forth. So uh, with more speed, uh, more power, uh, also means a a higher uh, intensity of collision, uh, and and th that higher intensity of collision, I think adds to the potential of single event, uh, single event injury. Uh, I think that perhaps uh, sometimes the sport is more aggressive as well. Uh, so sometimes uh, that may be the case uh, uh, in, in addition. But, uh, but I, I think the, uh, the strength and, and speed of, uh, of athletes today is, uh, is, is, much, is much greater and the potential for single event uh, trauma is, is greater. That makes sense. That's what I was thinking, but wanted to hear it from the professionals. <laughs> um, this number three one that you've got starts with an M, something syndrome. Oh, the mesenchymal syndrome. Yeah, let's go into that for a bit because I think you mentioned that uh, early on, and I wanted to get some more background before we went into the super science-y stuff. Yeah, so the mesenchymal uh, syndrome, I, I realized uh, also early uh, that there were a, a significant group of patients who showed up uh, with a variety of tendon problems. Uh, and uh, that, that would include, at least in the upper extremity, uh, patients would show up with a rotator cuff tendon problem in their shoulder, uh, tennis elbow, both the uh, lateral tennis elbow, which is the outside uh, of the elbow, or medial tennis elbow, so called the golfer's elbow, uh, and would also show up with carpal tunnel syndrome or numbness and tingling in their fingers uh, and also would have what was called decrovain syndrome, uh, which is a, a tendon uh, at the thumb side of the wrist. Uh, and, uh, and they had this constellation uh, of, 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 of symptoms in, in all three, er three or four areas. And... Uh, and that's when I came to, uh, it dawned on me that uh, there were people who were born with, with durability problems in their tendons. And, uh, and so I wrote this article actually in 1967. Uh, and, uh, and that was news to, uh, to a lot of people. As a matter of fact, uh, there are a lot of doctors today who, who, who do, not, do not know this. And, and, and do not understand it. Uh, and uh, very often, uh, you know, the, the patients basically are very often not well treated because of a lack of understanding of it. Uh, and very often then uh, another thing which is important, and that is that, uh, for instance, in the elbow, 
uh, it's not just an elbow problem, it's a whole extremity problem, including the shoulder blade and the upper back, uh, as, well, uh, as, well, as well as the elbow, so that in the, in the conditioning or rehabilitation program for tennis elbow, for instance, you need to basically strengthen the upper back uh, and the neck and the shoulder blade and the shoulder as well as the, as well as the elbow, so the conditioning program is the whole thing. And as a matter of fact, for tennis players, uh, very often, going back to stroke mechanics, very often inexperienced tennis players, uh, one of my nurturalisms is uh, that experienced tennis players run a lot and use their arm less, uh, whereas inexperienced tennis players run less and use their arm a lot. Uh, and so basically an inexperienced tennis player would stand there and say, well, the ball is coming, the ball is coming, the ball is coming. Uh, oh, the ball is over the net. Maybe I ought to run. Uh, and uh, whereas you notice world-class tennis players, they're on the move almost immediately, even before their opponent hits the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so even in tennis elbow, you need to strengthen the lower extremity uh, so that they get to the ball in an appropriate position. Uh, so that for tennis elbow, then the rehabilitation program is not only the elbow, uh, but it's the entire upper body as well as the lower body. Uh, so we re realize that on the basis of analyzing the stroke mechanics of the world-class tennis players when we did all these all these uh, you know motion pictures in in that in those days and videos later on to realize good good mechanics versus bad mechanics and every sport has good mechanics and bad mechanics yeah that's that's for sure um yeah you see that with a lot of soccer players all the time kicking techniques wrong create imbalances and all these things and then um they have to go correct those imbalances. You mentioned the 360 approach to the entire body earlier, and that, and as as we've been chatting, just the amount of like different how everything is connected, it really makes you wonder like how people function, at least like athletically, because it seems like always there's something that that can go wrong. If you had to give um, athletes advice on really making sure that they're, we'll say tendons specifically, are in the best shape or making sure that they're in the best um, uh, shape to avoid injury, um, and we'll say discounting having good mechanics because that's a, that's a gimme, but just what would you say to athletes just to say, hey, you should do X, Y, Z to make sure you're in the best position to avoid injury Generally, well, uh, well. Now the tennis coaches are are, are much better at it. Uh, uh, I uh, I was one of the founding members of the United States Tennis Association uh, uh, Sports Science Committee in, in the late 1980s, uh, and uh, uh, when we uh, when we started that, uh, uh, we actually uh, met uh, with the uh, uh, and the United States Tennis Association arranged uh, for the uh, uh, for the 20 best. 16-year-old tennis players uh, in the United States uh, to meet, uh, and we met actually in a, a, a small co uh, college in uh, Northern California, uh, and and examined uh, these 16-year-olds, uh, uh, 20 uh, 20 boys and 20 girls, and found uh, that in the 16-year-olds, 75% uh, of them had musculoskeletal deficiencies. In other words, they had weaknesses. Uh, uh, flexibility deficiencies, strength deficiencies, uh, 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 posture uh, deficiencies, and so forth. 
uh, and, uh, and and so the concept then was, of course, is to seek out those deficiencies, uh, and 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 then do uh, sports rehabilitation uh, to to eliminate those deficiencies. And actually, with the 16-year-old kids, uh, uh, to begin with, he said, "Well, uh, you know, this will help to prevent injury." And with the 16-year-old kids, they didn't pay any attention to that at all. Uh, of course not. They're 16. Yeah. And, it, and finally, uh, we changed our strategy and we said, this will help you to win. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, a little bright light went on in their little minds. And they said, hey, well, maybe we ought to do this. Uh, but, but when we said this will prevent injury, you know, it, it, it fell on deaf ears. Uh, uh, so in any event, 16-year-olds, 75% had, had some deficiencies. Uh, so you can imagine what happens to 30-year-olds, uh, and and so that 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 was a that was a key thing that 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 we discovered. Uh, going back to the mesenchymal syndrome for a little while, then uh, also if you're born with uh, those deficiencies to begin with, uh, that uh, uh, on the basis of durability of tendons, uh, then that adds another dimension to you know uh, to to the problem. Uh, so. So those patients who have that, uh, then they they have to work, uh, you know, doubly hard. Uh, so usually uh, the mesenchymal group that, that I saw over the years was not the athletic group particularly, uh, but could be another uh, another subset group, which is the occupational group. Uh, in other words, sitting at your computer all day long uh, and uh, wondering, uh, you know, why why your back hurts, why your neck hurts, and why your shoulders hurt. Uh, and, and so that would be called workplace ergonomics to change, you know, what's the position of your chair, what's the lighting, what's the, what's the position of the monitor. So those would also be, you know, uh, for the workplace group, then that would also be, uh, you know, changing the technique uh, of uh, what you're doing in the workplace in addition to, you know, doing some, some exercise. So not only the sports issues, and it, it filtered down to the workplace issues as well. Yeah, so you're so you're so you're getting patients coming in 70s and 80s, and you're figuring all these different things out and how they're interconnected, right? You mentioned the polio clinic earlier. How is it that you go about to sort of um, spreading this? Is it like do a lot of the the team doctors or the like the strength and conditioning coaches? Well, I guess maybe that probably wasn't a thing as much back then. But how do you go about spreading this, this knowledge? Is it more of like a, you point to this athlete and say, look, we did this with him and now he's winning? Or is it a just a, all of the above, giving presentations, writing writing papers and articles and and like just getting the word out there generally? Or did it take a while for this, this sort of new way of treating this to take hold? Well, uh, well it took a while uh, because not only did we have to educate the patients, uh, you know, non-athletes and athletes, but we all had to educate doctors. Uh, I was the, uh, interestingly enough, uh, in 19, 1974, I was the second uh, doctor in the, in the United States, and for all I know the world, to introduce actually fitness exercise ma machines in a physical therapy unit, uh, and they were Nautilus machines at the time. Uh, and... Uh, and so the concept uh, of having actual fitness tools uh, like Nautilus uh, 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 and put that in a physical therapy unit 
uh, and then start a sports medicine clinic at that time. I had doctors actually at our hospitals uh, come up to me and say, sports medicine, what's that? You know, are you, are you crazy? And he said, that'll never do anything. Uh, I literally had doctors, and as a matter of fact, I had Nautilus machines in a hospital physical therapy unit here in Virginia, and the hospital administrator called me up about six months later and said, uh, well, the doctors don't know what to do with these Nautilus machines, uh, uh, and it's taking up space. Would you mind taking the Nautilus machines out of our physical therapy unit? I kid you not. Uh, so this was in, in, in the early 1970s. Uh, so there was a lot, of, a lot of learning to go, not only with patients, but, but with doctors. Now, from the runner's point of view, Dr. George Sheehan basically also started that in 1970. Uh, at the time that I was doing the tennis things, he was doing the running things, and he wrote a book called Running and Being. And then Jim Fix uh, uh, wrote a book a few years later called The Complete Book of Running. Uh, and so they were the first two uh, books on running. And so at that point, if you saw somebody jogging in 1970 in the street, you'd think these people were, were crazy. Uh, and, uh, and so I took a lot of grief in, in the 1970s and 1980s, uh, you know, trying to pave the way for all this stuff. And when I came up with the idea that, you know, tendonitis was, a, was not correct as well, I mean, I got all kinds of, all kinds of, of criticism from, from a lot of people. Well, you must have seen the results right away almost to, to say, to, like, to stick the course that strongly because if a lot, most most people getting that much grief would have been like, yeah, I don't know. But you obviously held held firm because we're here today still talking about it. And every physical therapy place I've ever been in is all sorts of exercise machines all over the place. Um, so you must have been seeing results pretty significantly right away to be able to be like, nope, this is this is right and this is what we should be doing because I'm seeing it in XYZ athletes. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so that, uh, so I knew I, I knew what I was doing was was correct, and uh, and as we said, the rest of the world basically was, uh, you know, was on the on the wrong on the wrong track, and and actually I got into that along you know with our surgical techniques, so that the inertial, for instance, tennis elbow operation is used worldwide, uh, and I was the first basically to challenge. Uh, what we what we were doing surgically in rotator cuff surgery as well, which was a standard of care at the time, uh, uh, which was uh, which was really problematic to me as well. So I got a lot of grief, uh, you know, basically changing uh, changing surgical techniques as well. Uh, so you know that brings up a whole another concept, uh, 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 which we can get into perhaps another time. But uh, uh, I had all kinds of all kinds of uh, uh, issues, uh, uh, you know, with uh, with uh, challenging the old ways, if you will. But that's the way it is, and and I knew what I was doing was right, and so I I, I stuck to it, and and now we know, uh, you know, 40, 50 years later, everybody does this stuff, uh, but when I was doing it, I, I was one of the first in the world to do it, uh, and. Uh, and uh, as he said, got a lot of grief from it. Uh, but as time's gone on, everybody is now thinks, well, you know, that's the way we always did it. Oh yeah, <laughs> everybody hates the new guy, don't, yeah. don't they? Um, 
We'll go with this last one real quick. Uh, both four and five on your list both have a nerve pinch in them. So if you want to touch on nerve pinch basically in the, the neck and the shoulder and like the upper back sort of area, you got rotator cuff, AC joint, things like that. Um, what? How does that relate to the, the tendonitis slash tendinosis stuff that we were talking about before? Well, uh, in the 40 and 50, 50-year-olds, 50 uh, <clears throat> The mesenchymal syndrome group, uh, particularly, but uh, also uh, uh, e either other groups, very often will have a constellation of other issues besides. And a lot, uh, a lot of doctors, I'm sorry to say, still still don't recognize this. Uh, and uh, so all of a sudden, you'll have a combination of some arthritis in the neck uh, plus a nerve pinch problem, uh, which comes down to the shoulder blade, uh, and then will come down down into the arm which contributes to uh, weakness and also contributes to pain. Uh, and then you can have that constellation of having a rotator cuff problem in the shoulder besides. Uh, and then, as you said, having the other mesenchymal syndrome group besides uh, uh, very often uh, confuses uh, uh, a lot of doctors, quite frankly. Uh, and over the years, I've saw many patients who basically, you know, were, uh, were, not, were not well well treated because the doctor well-meaning uh, but didn't recognize the constellation of, of, of issues going on so that again you have to think outside the box and, and, and you have to be broader in your thought process. So I think in further discussions uh, what, we, what we ought to do is uh, go down to then you know specific uh, you know body parts and so I think maybe the next discussion uh, we might do uh, uh, rotator cuff tendon problems in the shoulder uh, and uh, you know what we do with that and maybe tennis elbow would be two uh, that we could uh, go into more detail uh, as to exactly what we do uh, and maybe you know what the what the good good surgical concepts are versus the, uh, the, the surgical concepts which may may have been old time concepts uh, but are really obsolete at this point, uh, but are still done. Uh, and, uh, and maybe try and educate the public a little bit and, and, uh, on the basis of those things. And then later on, maybe the topics of carpal tunnel uh, in, the, in the wrist and de Crevain's uh, syndrome, which is uh, called the French washerwoman's disease. Uh, and then the problem with the soccer players uh, where they get osteoitis pubis uh, in addition to yep. a, a, in addition to adductor and abductor problems around the tendons. Yeah, I, wonder, I wonder who that could have uh, been. Otherwise, quadriceps issues, patellar tendon issues, uh, uh, anterior cruciate ligament uh, injuries, uh, uh, knee meniscal problems, shin splints, and so forth. So we can go into all of those in more detail as time goes on. Absolutely. You mentioned one. Uh, so one more quick one. You mentioned the sort of the thinking outside the box, and you mentioned my um, my injury with the adductor and the the word that starts with an O that I've never been able to pronounce. Um, I had talked with a fair few amount of physical therapists and other other sort of people, and nobody seemed to really like have a good handle on it. So it's interesting to me as I've gone through my own experiences and I've heard other uh, teammates have different injuries and be like this place couldn't figure it out, that place couldn't figure it out. Um, I guess what it's, it's just interesting to me that, that that exists in the medical field because everybody's body is different and so different treatments might work for some people but not others and then it kind of, it 
lends me to say, oh, well, as an athlete, I have to know my body best first and foremost and then kind of work with all of the medical like uh, people, whether it's the therapists or the surgeons or whoever. Um, what are your sort of thoughts on that sort of, on that conundrum, I guess? Well, uh, well, I think, first of all, you need to recognize that everybody is different. Uh, and uh, so uh, you know, different height, uh, you know, different weight, uh, different flexibilities, uh, you know, different strengths and so forth, different mechanical angles. For instance, in the lower extremity, some people are born with uh, knock, knock knees, uh, some people are born with bow legs, some people are born with flat feet, uh, some people are, are born with high arch feet. Uh, so every, everybody's different, so you, you have to bring that into the, into the equation uh, in addition to what, what sport they're doing and then what the mechanics of the sport uh, and so forth. So, so all of those come into play. Uh, and if you fail to do that uh, as, a, as, a, as a patient or as an athlete uh, versus as a doctor, uh, you, you're not going to be as successful. Uh, so otherwise, if everybody is just, uh, you know, the McDonald's of uh, treatment, uh, you know, McDonald's works. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, but when you come to athletes and, uh, and treatment and whatnot, you have to take the individual issue in, in, into account as well. But people go to McDonald's. Some people like the, the ham and egg, and some people like the, you know, the, the McDouble or whatever, you know, and so forth. So, so their stomach also tells them, you know, uh, what works and what doesn't work to some degree. That's for sure. All right, Granddad, I really appreciate your time. This has been very educational, I'd say. Learned a lot of things, and obviously we'll get you back on, right, to talk about all the other things that you mentioned. We'll get into surgical techniques and different parts of the body in, in more detail later. Um, but, yeah, thanks. Any last, uh, any last nickels? Uh, well, uh, I think uh, it's, uh, it's, it's important to uh, basically educate uh, because part of medicine is education. And, uh, uh, and uh, if, if, you're, if your doctor is not educating you uh, and paying attention to you, then uh, uh, that, that's, that's not really the, the, best, the best of medical, medical care, if you will. So make sure that you're communicating with your doctor and that your doctor uh, basically, you know, listens to, listens to you. Uh, when uh, actually, when I gave my talk, uh, uh, at when I accepted my uh, uh, alumni of the year award from my medical school, uh, uh, my my message uh, to to the doctors who were in the audience was, uh, uh, listen to your patients. Uh, uh, you will learn a great deal. And, and nowadays, the problem is uh, sometimes our young doctors uh, are, are very different uh, different in, 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 in their own education and generation from the point of view that they are now on the computer. And I would have patients come in and say, gee, you know, the doctor never looked at me. All he did was basically punch on the computer, uh, and, and he never really paid much attention to me. Uh, so it's important. Uh, that there's actual communication and that the doctor actually listens to the patient. Uh, but it's also important for the patient to be accurate as to what their problem is. Uh, uh, sometimes patients come in and they, they'll, you know, wander, wander around. So it's important for patients to write down exactly, exactly what their symptoms are and what, ha what have you. 
I, I'm reminded in that regard of a lady one time who came in, uh, was in an auto accident, and, and, and basically she started out by saying she was going to the Safeway and she was going to buy some milk and this, that, and the other thing. And all I wanted to know was, where was the collision? Uh, so... <laughs> So, uh, so patients have to basically pay attention to, you know, and to basically be accurate as to, uh, and precise as to, you know, what, what they need and what they want so that there's a, a good uh, communication between the two. But my message to doctors is uh, get off the computer a little bit and look at the patient and to pay attention to what the patient uh, asks you and what the patient tells you. Fair enough. Good message there to end this off. Uh, you can find... Um Inertial Orthopedic Center online. We'll put that link in the description as well, as well as the um, Virginia Sports Medicine Institute. Um, and with that, we will see you guys next time. Bye.